week. It's a joy to be here this morning and to fill in for Pastor Lee as he is away at his conference. I thank the Lord that he asked me uh, to, to trust in me this morning to bring this message, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. And uh, if you're glad to be here, say amen. amen. If you were here about three weeks ago and I stood here and we had no air conditioner, you say, I'm glad to be here in air conditioning this morning, say amen. amen. I was pretty miserable then, but I praise God that we have air conditioning. My granddaddy used to talk about the good old days. Yeah, son, we used to go and preach camp meetings and throw up a tent and saw grass and said one time I had a suit shrunk three sizes. One night, I just sweated so much. And I thought to myself, I'm glad it was you and not me. I thank God for the good old days, but I thank God for the day in air conditioner. So we're glad to be here this morning, and especially with an air conditioner. If you have your Bibles this morning, I would invite you to turn to the 8th chapter of Luke. And we're going to read a very familiar story, a story that is in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You can find it in the 8th chapter of Matthew, the 4th chapter of Mark. But we're going to look at Luke's rendition of this story and, and see what he has to say. We're going to read in verses number 22 through verse number 25. The story is one of the most interesting stories in the Word of God. It's the story of a great miracle. You know the story. You've known it since a little kid and Sunday school. And it's a story that brings great light to us each and every time that we address it. I have never preached a message from here. I don't know why, but I have never done it. But when Pastor Lee called me this week uh, on Monday, I have been looking at this for some time, and I said, well, I'm going to give it a shot. So many have done a wonderful job with this particular passage of Scripture, but I said, I'm going to give my best at it this morning, and I uh, trust that God will bless you and bless your ears that hear it this morning. The question is, as we look through this portion of Scripture, what will Jesus do if the problem is some element that seems to be unstoppable? What would Jesus do when nature has turned against you? What will Jesus do when the forces in your life have come up against you? What would Jesus do when the storm rages, when the wind blows, when the boat tosses and turns? What will this family do that we have heard about today that lost their eight-year-old daughter? I understand she was fighting cancer, but this was a thing that had worn her body down and her body just wore out. What will this family do? What will many of us do today as we face the storms of life that come our way? The answer is Jesus is powerful even in the midst of storms. This is what this scripture says. Jesus is powerful even in the midst of storms. Now you got to go kind of slowly through this. I'm not intentionally going slowly just to keep you here till 1 o'clock. I want to go slowly through these four verses of Scripture, very quick verses, four quick verses, but you got to go slowly to get all all that the Lord has to say to us in these uh, Scriptures this morning. Jesus is there preaching by the waterside. He's probably got his boat as his pulpit, and he's, he's been there all day teaching and preaching. Jesus looks off into the side, and he sees a farmer sowing his seed, and he sees the wheat and the tares, And he takes these illustrations of everyday lives and he puts them into a parable. And he speaks the parable and takes everyday life and and portrays it in a spiritual aspect. He's using parables all day long. He's doing more and more and more preaching. 
In my years of preaching, I've never had anybody stand up and say, Preach again, brother. Preach on, brother. I've never had anybody say that. Usually by the time I'm done preaching, everybody's pretty glad. And I'm pretty glad myself because I'm pretty tired. But nobody has ever told me, says, Preach on, brother. Preach on. But as they began to listen to Jesus, the call went out. Jesus, preach a little more. Let me hear a little more what you got to say. They were beginning to understand what Jesus was saying. They were beginning to get it as he took just simple illustrations and put them into spiritual aspects. They began to understand. I could see the little children's eyes as they gaze up. If you've never been in the junior churches or the children's churches, get in there one Sunday and give those little kids a Bible story. And watch them just look up in amazement as you tell these miraculous stories of what Jesus has done. They're amazed by it. They're amazed that a man can do all of these great and mighty powerful things. The children were beginning to understand. The adults were beginning to understand. And they were saying, preach on, brother, preach on. Let us hear a little more. So now he goes to the back of the boat. He goes to the back as a sign that, all right, folks, this is it. This is my last sermon for the day. Now get this one because when this one's done, we're going to sail off. And when he finished the last sermon, they pushed off. But others, as you can see in the Word of God, others got in their boat. And they followed Jesus' boat. They said, wherever Jesus goes, that's where I'm going. The magnitude of that this powerful Jesus has. The magnitude that he has to bring people together and draw near to him. When he went, they went. I want to be where Jesus is going to be. So Jesus gets in the boat and he lays his head down in the stern of the boat on a cushion that was there for the pilot of the boat. And he went, and he went to sleep as they began their journey across the Sea of Galilee. Now, I did a little research on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is some 700 feet below sea level. 700 feet below sea level. The the lowest freshwater lake that is below sea level in all the world. The circumference of this lake is uh, 13 miles from north to south and about 7.5 miles from east to west. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I believe New Providence is about 21 miles by 7 miles. Is that correct? So this this lake was about as wide as this island and about two-thirds as long as this island. This great lake, 64 square miles of water. And there's some argument, but 150 feet is what most say is about the deepest part of this lake, which is in that, in, in, in lakes is a pretty shallow lake. 150 feet deep was a pretty shallow lake. This is the same lake, the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus lived when he lived in the city of Capernaum. This is the same lake that Peter walked on when he walked on the water. This is the same lake when Jesus was resurrected that he showed himself to his disciples was at the Sea of Galilee. This is the same lake where four disciples went and caught a boatload of fishes. The Sea of Galilee was where the journey began. And now let's go to verses 22 in our text this morning. Now it came to pass on a certain day. Then he went into a ship with his disciples And he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where 
is your faith. And they being afraid wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. Father, we come today with nothing, Lord. We come today with nothing without you, Father. And as we open this word of God, I just ask you to fill the hearts, fill the ears, Lord, for the message that you have prepared this morning. I'm just a voice. You've prepared this message, Lord. And I ask you to speak to each and every heart. In your precious name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. At the end of this encounter, Jesus seems to be very disappointed. He did a great miracle. But Jesus seems to be very disappointed. And he asked the question, where is your faith? He did not ask them, do you have faith? Nathan, this thing's ringing up here. I don't know if y'all can hear it, but it's ringing up here. Am I too loud? Where is your faith, he asked him. He didn't ask him, do you have faith? He says, where is your faith? He knew they had faith. They had seen Jesus walk on the water. They had seen Jesus feed the 5,000. They had seen Jesus do many, many miracles. They knew that they had faith. The question was, where is your faith? And that's the question that I have for you this morning. Where is your faith? Where is your faith this morning? You're counting on something. Many of us are depending on something. We're depending on money. We're depending on on ourselves in many aspects. We're depending on friends. We're depending on the future. We're depending on health. We're depending on tomorrow. But friend, these things aren't going to stand the storms that come into our lives. The boat's going to rock. The winds are going to blow. And the boat's going to tip over. Or is our faith in Jesus or is it in friends and money and the future, tomorrow, our health? Where is your faith this morning? How many of you before have taken the plane ride? You know what I'm talking about? The plane ride? Not the one that takes off and it's nice and smooth and it just glides through the air and and in about 20 or 25 minutes, the pilot comes on and says, folks, buckle your seatbelts, we're coming down. And he glides right on down. That's not the plane ride. How many of you have been on the plane ride from here to Miami? It's beautiful out there. Boy, we're going to have a good flight. And as that flight, uh, plane begins to take off, it begins to shake as it goes through a little bit of clouds. And, and as we get halfway there, we see the black clouds that we didn't see here. We see them over there. The black clouds come and that plane begins to rock and it begins to shake and it begins to go in and out. And as the pilot says, he comes across the, uh, the intercom and says, ladies and gentlemen, this is your pilot speaking. He says, I don't want you to be alarmed. What's the first thing we do when he says that? We're alarmed. We want to know, why do you say, don't be alarmed? Don't be alarmed, folks, but we're going to go through a little turbulence here, and it's going to be rough. Buckle your seat down. Buckle, buckle your seat belts down. And we buckle those seat belts, and we strap them in as hard as we can, and what do we do? We grab a hold of that chair. Why in the world do we grab a hold of the seat? If the plane goes down, the chair's going down too. <laughs> but we grab a hold of that seat, and we, we brace ourselves. My father-in-law says, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Been there, done that. We grab a hold of that plane and, and we began the rough ride that as we go down into the, into the clouds again and began our descent. Folks, it's never a smooth ride when you walk with Jesus. Jesus never said, come on board with me and it'll be a smooth ride. Jesus never promised that. He did promise to say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll always be there with you. It's going to be rough. 
but I will always be there with you. But in all of my years of traveling and flying, and, all of, and, and I used to not bother flying until I got married and got into a particular family. Now, some reason, I got a little fear of flying. <laughs> but when you, I've never seen in the flights, I've never seen when those rough flights or a rough boat ride, you boat people, the people that like boats and been in rough boats. I've never seen anybody say, I want to get off of this plane while it's rough. I want to get out of this boat while it's rough. I don't want to get out of the boat now, folks. It's a whole lot rougher outside of the boat in a storm than it is inside of, of the boat of the storm. As a matter of fact, I would rather be in a storm in a boat with Jesus than outside of the boat in a calm without him. It's never going to be easy when we walk with Jesus. But I ask you the question this morning, where is your faith? Where is your faith this morning? When I thought about this, this faith I um, reminded me of a story some years ago, and it was a story of two nuns that they were traveling in South Georgia. Not a true story. I'm making this up. But they were traveling in South Georgia, and they began to, to uh, uh, get into a little country town. And some of you have been in some of these little country towns. All it is is one stoplight. If you blink your eyes, you're through the town. But they were going through this little country town, and they got about two blocks before they reached the stoplight, and they ran out of gas. So they got out and they walked into town and they found a little gas station. And they asked the, the gas man, says, fella, we ran out of gas. We need gas. He said, well, ma'am, says, I can give you the gas. I said, but I don't have anything to put it in. So he said, she said, you don't have a gas can. You don't have a bucket. You don't have anything to put it in. So they looked around and finally they found a bedpan. How many of you know what a bedpan is? says, oh, me. If you don't know what a bedpan is, it's this. Well, ask the neighbor beside you. They found a bedpan. They filled the bedpan up with gas. And these two nuns began to walk this bedpan back to their car. And as they got to the car, they opened the gas tank and they took this bedpan and they began to turn it up into the gas can. Two South Georgia rednecks driving in their pickup truck came by them. And one of them named Bubba. The other one was named Bubba. And um, he said, Bubba said, check out the two nuns over there. Bubba looks at the two nuns, sees the, the bedpan being turned up into the gas can, and he looks at him, he says, now that's faith, brother. That's faith. <laughs> that's not the faith I'm talking about this morning. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Well, these this, in this boat, on this storm this morning, their faith was misplaced. Where was their faith? It obviously was everywhere, but it was where it was supposed to be. Number one, they had faith in themselves. These were seamen. They knew the sea. They knew these waters. These men knew boats. They knew everything about the sea. Jesus was a carpenter. He was a land lover. He didn't know about the seas. They didn't realize that Jesus was the one who created, his father was the one who created the heavens and the earth and all the seas and everything. They said, Jesus is a land lover. Jesus, here's your pillar. Here's your my pillar. You go, you lay down here in the back of the boat. We can handle things. This is our territory. We can handle things right here. With this, we, we're in control of this. How many of us, it's all right to keep Jesus in the back of the boat? Lord, we can, we can handle this. You just stay right back here. I remember the first time I preached, I was, I was pretty dumb. I thought I was smart. I thought, I, boy, I... 
I had heard my granddaddy preach, and I had gotten his books. I had gotten all the material. I studied. I wrote that sermon down, and I said, Lord, I'm going to give it to him. And I forgot to ask the Lord to be with me. And I thought, boy, I'm ready for this. I'm ready. And I got up to that pulpit on a Wednesday night in Thomasville, Georgia. And I said, turn, 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 turn to your Bibles. I thought I could handle it. I thought I was able to control this. I thought I was in control of the problem. I was an experienced man. I was, I was, a, he was a seaman. They were experienced seamen. They didn't need Jesus. They were on their turf. They had faith in the water. Those peaceful, quiet waters were the main thing in which they were trusting. These men had faith. This was their livelihood. They fished these waters. They knew the water. They knew all about it. As long as on the solitude of life one sails along smoothly on the quiet waters, he has nothing to worry about. As long as the wind just just blows just a breeze. As long as the waters just have a little ripple. We're all right. We don't worry about the waters. But folks, the wind is going to come. The storm is going to blow. The waves are going to begin to crash. Ella Wheeler Wilcox says it's easy enough to be happy when the world goes by with a song. But the man who is worthwhile is the man who can smile when everything goes dead wrong. Faith in quiet waters. But things were going to change. They had faith in their ship. Why not? They built the ship. They selected the wood to build the ship. They selected the nails. They joined the the, the wood and the nails together. They knew the strength of this boat. They did everything they could to make this a strong boat. They had faith in that ship. What a foolish thing that they did. How like many other people whose only faith is in the frail ship of life. Oh, I got a certificate that says I was baptized. Oh, I got a certificate that says I'm the member of Calvary Bible Church. Oh, I have, I've done good works this week. I gave to the needy. I gave to the poor. Oh, when it comes Easter time and Christmas time, I cry. I go to church and I cry at the sermon. The frail aspects of a ship that we put our, our faith in. Folks, these things are sure to fail us. We're sure to fail ourselves. We can testify that. The things that we trust in the most will fail us. The things that we build our hope around, these things are going to fail us. So these disciples, these men, faith was misplaced. And then their faith was tested. Notice that the very thing that they trusted in the most was the first thing that turned against them. What was that? The beautiful waters. They trusted in these waters. These waters were their friend. But unbeknownst to them, these waters were going to quickly become their great enemy. I read a little bit about these storms that happened on the Sea of Galilee. Now, I'm not a meteorologist, and, and I'm not a scientist. Uh, I'm not much of anything. But, um, but I understand in reading that, that the Sea of Galilee, and, and as you have water and, and vapor begins to rise up off of these waters, and steam begins to come up off of these waters. But all around this lake are great mountains, high mountains. And what happens is the cool air comes up over these mountains and it comes down these mountains and it grabs a hold of this water. And this water grabs it and, 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 and this cool water, this cool air is turned into warm air and it begins to rise. And so we have 
cool air coming down. It gets heated up and it rises. A vacuum, a suction brings it up. But then something else happens. Gravity begins to take charge in its own aspect. So what happens is you got cool air coming down. It gets warmed and it begins to go up and gravity grabs it and snatches it back down. And after some time you get this motion and it, it begins to come over. Go up, grab down. Come down, go up, grab down. And this is what happens. It's kind of like you ladies take your mix master and, and you turn it on puree. You begin to get this big storm. A chaos happens on the Sea of Galilee. They say in some places it's, it can uh, blow 50 miles an hour and have wind gusts of up to 125 miles an hour. They said in not March of 1992, this, uh, this Sea of Galilee had some 10, 10 uh, um, Ten feet of waves that crashed into the city of Tiberias and just flooded the city out. Great chaos happens in these storms on the Sea of Galilee. And many of you know, as I believe when you get to 125 miles an hour, you, I believe to a Hurricane 3, chaos can happen. It uproots trees. It floods out areas. It tears up homes. It brings chaos and disaster when we see these storms. And these are the storms that that Jesus and, and these, these men that were with him as disciples experienced on the Sea of Galilee. It says in verse number 23, And they were filled with water. The water was beginning to come into the boats of the Sea of Galilee. Verse number 24 says, Master, Master, we perish. How did they think they were going to perish? They were going to drown. Their water, this friend that they had in the water was going to be their death, was going to bring them down. And was going to try him. Was going to drown him. You know Peter was on that boat. And you know Peter he was always Mr. In Control. He, he had a grasp on everything. He knew everything. And, and Peter was on this boat. But Peter lost control on this boat. It was total chaos. But yet. They were there. But Jesus was with them. And I don't know. It wasn't that time when. You didn't hear no. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. My wife and I, when we first got married, we remember old Paradise Airlines? And we were flying on Paradise Airlines. We were leaving Fort Lauderdale. Oh, it was a beautiful flight. We were sailing up just so beautifully. The stewardess already had gotten out of their seat. They had gotten the drinks and everything. And, and they were beginning to walk down the aisles to serve the drinks. And all of a sudden, out of the nowhere, that plane just, poof, just drops up out of the sky. The waitress plates go up and the, the drinks go flying the, the plane just falls to the ground total chaos but I didn't hear anybody say oh the plane dropped oh we just fell out of the sky no there was chaos oh Lord Jesus help me how many of you done it you've done it Lord help me this plane's going down there was chaos. These people were screaming, and that's the way I know it was on this boat. There was chaos. People were crying out, Lord, help us. Folks, it may be at the very point of your strength that the very thing that you depend on the most will be the first thing to let you down. That thing that you put all your hope and faith in, those worldly things may be the first thing that, lays you, that lets you down. If you put your faith in wood and hay and stubble, these things will let you down. But put your faith in the rock of ages, Jesus Christ, the firm foundation. Jesus Christ will stand the test of storm, storm in any storm that we face. Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior. For you sports fans out there, the story reminded me of a man, Dave Dravecki. He pre pitched for, this, I believe, the San Francisco Giants. He was a southpaw. And boy, if you were a southpaw, that means you're a left-handed. 
He was a left-handed pitcher. And if you were a left-handed pitcher and you could throw a nasty curveball, well, you could make a lot of money. And Dave Dravecki was one of those men. He could throw that ball and throw that nasty curveball. Made lots of money. That was his lifeline. That was what he put all of his hope and faith in with his left arm. And one day, Dave Dravecki wound up and he threw that ball and he delivered that ball. And when he got about right here, his arm just went limp. His arm snapped. Both balls just snapped right in two. Come to find out he had tumor in his arms. Didn't know it. And that arm just snapped right in two. Some years later, he, about three, two or three years later, after all of his treatments, they, they, they said the cancer had gone away. And uh, he came back and he began to pitch again. He had steel plates in there, screws and everything. His arm was strong again. That nasty curveball was coming back once again. And if I'm not mistaken, it was on one of his first outings. He reared back about halfway through the game, delivered that pitch, and that bone snapped again. Just a few weeks later, his arm was amputated. That lifeline, that thing that he depended on the most, that strength that was in his life, that thing that he all put all of his hope and faith in was now amputated, and he had it no more. How many of a singer we heard put all of their faith in their vocal cords to know that their vocal cords lose them, and their vocal cords go, and they don't have their voice anymore? How many times, I remember some years ago, the model that was in New York City made millions of dollars with her beautiful face. She was a model. She put all of her hope and faith in her beautiful face and that talent that she had with the physical aspects of her body. But one night a man came and slashed her face and now her beautiful face that she made millions of dollars with was now scarred. She put all of her strength and her hope. That was the thing that let her down the most. Tested by the storms. These men were. The tremendous storm of wind that came down upon the lake. The difficulties of life that come. The unannounced things that come into our life. Death comes. Sickness comes. Cancer comes. Financial resources fail us. Uh, Our marriage fails us. Those things that we put our faith in, they fail us. We're tested by the storms of life. They were also tested by God himself. You remember the words of Amos? I preached the message on it. Um, prepare to meet thy God. These men had put Jesus into the back of the boat. But now they had come face to face with Jesus. They were there with Jesus. They knew that the storm, that God had caused this storm, and they knew the only way out was for Jesus to come. And so they became face to face with God. They're tested, but they're also tested by death. All this wonderful life that we live, my wife takes thousands of pictures and fuss me because I don't download them on the computer and send them out on email to everybody. We take all of these pictures. Why? So people can see how beautiful life is. We take diaries. We take scrapbooks. That's the new thing now. Get these scrapbooks. Spend money on these scrapbooks. Why? So we can collect all of these memories and see how beautiful life is. But folks, no matter how beautiful life is, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much talent you have, no matter how much ability you have, death is coming to the child of God unless Jesus raptures the church. We're tested by death. But these men were afraid that they were going to perish. I remember in 1985, as a young man, we had a hurricane in South Georgia. Hurricane Kate came up through the Gulf of Mexico. It blew about 75 miles an hour. And you folks say, Lord, that ain't nothing. Well, when you're in Thomasville, Georgia, and you never had a hurricane or any winds like this. And by our house, we had tall pine trees, these 
tall pine trees. That some of them are 75 or 100 feet in the air. And these Georgia pines, they, the roots are right on top of the soil, and they have one tap root that goes straight down into the ground. But when you get 75 miles an hour, and you got these trees that are 75, 100 feet up in the air, and the wind grabs them, it's chaos, folks. It's scary. And my house, boy, we were, we were in the middle of the house. We had done all the things they say, get away from windows, get in the bathroom, and stuff like that. We were huddled down in the bathroom, and all of a sudden, we hear this, pow, right on top of our house. And I thought, oh, my goodness, buddy, I got saved, and I got saved, and I got saved over and over. I didn't care how much saved I was. I got saved again. I knew death was coming. I knew it was imminent in our life. There was chaos in there, and I knew this was it. The next morning, we got outside, and what we had found was the first, there was about three trees on our house, and we didn't even know it. But the first tree, the ground was just so soggy and wet that the first tree just kind of gave away through the ground and just kind of laid down on our house. But that second tree that came was one that just the wind took and blew down. And fortunately, because the first tree was there, it braced the fall of that second tree or else that second tree would be in just like a guillotine and would have cut right through our house and right through that bathroom that we were staying in. Death comes in our life. No, more, no matter how beautiful life is, death comes into our life. Their faith was misplaced. Their faith was tested. But now their faith was going to be replaced. These men finally got smart. They finally woke up. They finally made some changes in their lives. First thing they did, they came to Jesus. They came to the right person. They didn't come to some philosophy. They came to Jesus Christ himself. Salvation is not in a preacher, my friend. Salvation is not in me this morning. Salvation is in Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is our salvation. How do I know? I went through life. I thought, boy, I, I know about, about Christianity. I went to church nine months before I was even born. I knew all about Christianity. I knew all about church. My grandparents on both sides were devout Christians. My granddaddy was one of the most recognizable ministers in, this, in the southeast of the Assemblies of God. They knew him. That was my granddaddy. I'm all right. I got everything in control. I know all about it. In 1955, my granddaddy was asked to preach the Friday night message at the General Council of the Assemblies of God. Less than 1% of the ministers worldwide have that invitation and to have the Friday night service. That's the main service. That's the big shots they preach on Friday night. And he was asked, boy, that's my granddaddy. 1955, he preaches General Council. I'm all right. I've done it all right. Every year the fall came. We had the revival. I got saved. I thought I needed to get saved. I got saved. I thought everything was right. I thought I'd done all the right things. And it came to the age of 17 that I found out all I've done was worth nothing. All i had done was go through the motions that I have not given my heart to Jesus Christ. And on a Sunday night, I gave my heart to Jesus. I bowed to an old-fashioned, well, it wasn't old-fashioned. It had carpet. We had air conditioning. But I bowed to, a, to an altar that night, and I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I finally came to the right person. I didn't come to all of the formalities that you're supposed to go through. I didn't come to just going to Sunday school and going to church and be an attendant of church and be participating. I came to Jesus Christ of Nazareth and got saved and gloriously changed my life. These men came to the right person. They also came while there was still time. They did not wait until they were in the water. They didn't say, well, let's see what happens. Let's see if this boat holds up. No, when they saw the water coming, they said, we're going to get right. They didn't wait until tomorrow. Folks, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not built upon tomorrow. The gospel of Jesus Christ is built upon today. 
what we can do for today. My father, one of his favorite, father-in-law's favorite saying is, don't do tomorrow what you can do today. If you can do it today, do it today. If you can give your heart to Jesus today, don't wait until tomorrow. Do it today. My wife, I joke at her often when she gets on these kick with diets. She'll tell me Tuesday morning, I'm going to start a diet Monday morning. I say, well, sweetie, if you're going to start a diet, let's do it now. She said, no. I said, why not? She said, well, I want to enjoy my food this week. <laughs> Let me enjoy the rest of the week. In other words, let me gain some weight and I'll lose that too. I don't want to start it now. Let's start it tomorrow. Why wait? Let's start the storm. Let's get out of the boat. Let's turn to Jesus now. So here's Jesus resting on a pillow in the back of the boat. And now all of a sudden, in the middle of verse number 24, what does it say? Then he, what? arose. What do you mean? Jesus stands up. What do you mean Jesus stands up? This boat is tossing and turning and people are trying to stand up. The waves are blowing us this way and all of a sudden the boat crashes and we're trying to stand up. How many of you have been in those storms before on your boats? All you boatmen out there. You're trying to stand up in those storms but you can't stand up. My friend Ian a couple of weeks ago was telling me about a great storm that they experienced on his fishing boat. And they began to go off on the sea jam in one day. And he says that the boat went down. All they could do was just see water around them. All they could do was just total chaos around them. You couldn't even stand up in the boat. He was talking to his wife on the phone. And all of a sudden, he went blank. And, of course, his wife didn't know what to think. Here he was telling her he was in a storm. And then he loses his wife the connection. She didn't know if the boat flips or what. But here they these disciples are trying to stand up in this boat. And what does Jesus do? Jesus stands up in the boat. How in the world does Jesus stand up in the boat? How in the world when the waves are crashing around us? How in the world when storms and difficulties come into our life, Jesus can stand up in a boat? Or a matter of fact, the better question is, why does Jesus stand up in a boat in a storm? And folks, the reason is Jesus had to let the child of God know that this wasn't the only storm that they were going to face in their life. This was not the only difficult time they were going to experience. Jesus had to evoke his power upon the people so that the people would know that Jesus is powerful even in the midst of the storm. Jesus stood up. Boy, wouldn't it have been a sight if Jesus would have said, hey, 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 Steve, help me, help me, Steve. I, I, I need some help. And Steve has to pull up Jesus, and Jesus is stumbling around. Jesus, oh, my stomach, I don't, I don't feel so good. Let me get to the side of the boat. And, and what if that would have happened? Folks, these people would have been scared. They knew that we would have been scared. But the power of God was invoked upon Jesus, and Jesus would stand up in the power of God. He was able to stand up in the storm. How many of you can testify that you have been into the storm, but because Jesus Christ revoked his power upon your life, you were able to stand in the storm. Sickness has come into your life, but you have stood strong. The, the sickness has come and you just tried to destroy your life, but you are standing tall in the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus can help you stand in the storm. In the time of trouble, the winds will blow. Where's your faith this morning? The storms are going to beat upon you. Where is your faith this morning? Is it in Jesus Christ? And all of a sudden, Jesus rebuked the winds and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was calm. The word that Jesus used here is quiet, mute, no talking. Jesus is speaking, 
quiet, mute. And do you know what? The wind heard him. The disciples heard him. They wrote it down. But the wind heard him also. And I guess the wind says, oh, oh yeah, who are you talking to? I'm the mighty wind. But Jesus was speaking, and immediately the storm was stopped, and the winds began cease to blow. They came to Jesus at the right time, and they came in the right way. They did not come with a lot of big words. They did not come with a lot of philosophy. But they came and they said, help, Master, Lord, help us. In Mark chapter 4, Mark gives his rendition. He says, Master, carest not thou that we perish? Carest not thou? That's kind of a ridiculous thing to say to Jesus. Jesus cares for us. But the word he uses in most of the, when we see the word master, he uses a Greek word, didaskalos. Didaskalos, which means teacher, interpreter, one who gives out knowledge. Jesus was a master. He was a didaskalos. Jesus was a teacher. As we just saw, he was teaching by the wayside. Jesus is one who interprets. Jesus is the one who gives knowledge. But folks, these folks didn't need knowledge. These folks didn't need a teacher. These folks needed somebody who was going to do something. They needed action. And they needed the action immediately in their life. So the word they use here is epitastos. Epitastos. Boy, you're looking at it and say, I did my homework, eh? Didaskalos, epitastos. But epitastos means commander, superintendent, one who is in charge. Folks, these men were in a storm. The boat was ready to fill up. The boat was ready to go down. These men were fixing to drown. These men were fixing to die. These men didn't need a teacher. These men didn't need a philosopher. These men didn't need a chemist who could sit down and figure a formula and figure out who, how they were going to get out of the storm. These men needed a commander-in-chief. These men didn't need someone who had authority. These men didn't call didaskalos. These men called epitastos. They needed someone who had action in their life. That's the Jesus that I serve today. Jesus, a powerful, powerful, powerful Jesus is standing in the storm of our lives today. Where is your faith this morning? What are you putting your faith in this morning? Not only did these men find calm waters, but these men got more than they asked for. Not only did they find the waters calm and peaceful, but in the other gospels it said that these men were immediately placed on the other side on dry land. These men wanted to be dry. These men wanted, wanted to, to get out of this boat. But most importantly, these men wanted their lives saved. Jesus saves the soul. Folks, he does a good job. He doesn't just save our soul. He washes away all of the past sin. He doesn't just cleanse our body of sickness and disease. No, he makes you feel better than you ever felt before when you're healed by the power of Jesus. This is the powerful, powerful Jesus that we serve. Where's your faith? This morning. And you remember those other men in those boats? You remember them? Now they're on the side of the shore. And these men, they, man, they, 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 they said, man, man, you, 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 see what I just saw. Man, the waters were calm. There was no, there was peace all around us. And then out of nowhere, the storms began to blow. The winds began to blow. And that man over there, that man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, spoke to the winds. And the winds calmed and the winds heard it. And there was peace and calm forevermore. And the question that they asked in 25, verse 25, what manner of man is this that even the storms obey him? His command. 
Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you and I have the audacity day in, day out, night after night to sit in our home and worry about our future. And we have a man in Jesus Christ standing in the storm with us. And we too can stand in the storm of life that comes before us. Where's your faith this morning? If you're trusting in yourself, if you're trusting in the frail ship of life that you're building out of your own goodness, if you're trusting in the calm waters of life with no trouble yet, I warn you, troubles are coming. They're going to come. Your faith will be tested. You'll be tested by God, by death, by difficulty. Replace your faith this morning. Take an inventory of your life. Put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. As the musicians and the singers come, I ask you a question. Where is your faith this morning? Who are you trusting in this morning? Some years ago, my granddaddy tells a story often about he was traveling from Tallahassee, Florida to a camp meeting in West Texas. And as he began his, his journey at 5 o'clock in the morning, he got into Louisiana around probably around 12 o'clock. And just in front of him was a big old log truck with a big old steel pole sticking out the back and had a red flag on the back. And many of you, I, I've done it many a times, been traveling all day. You start out that morning, boy, you grab a hold of that wheel with two hands, and you're a defensive driver. You're watching everybody around you to make sure you're not getting hit or make sure nobody's going to hit you. But after you do that for about six or seven hours, you know, those two hands become one hand, and after a while it becomes a finger, and you're not looking around you. You, you know, you're gazing off and what you're probably going to preach the next day or what you're going to say, what's going to happen tomorrow. You lose sight of what's around you. And this is how he was. He was kind of in a daze and driving down the road. And out of nowhere, that log truck puts on brakes and comes to a screeching halt. And he him in his car riding down Highway 10, many of you have been down a concrete interstate, and if you slam on brakes, most of the time you're just going to slide for a little while. Your tires aren't going to grip that concrete. You're just going to slide across the road. And he said to himself, all of a sudden he slammed on those brakes. And he engaged into his mind that that steel pole was going to come right through the preacher's car. And there was going to be fried preacher shish kebab that night. That pole was going to skewer him. And that was coming right through him. Well, all of a sudden he saw that truck put on the brakes and he slammed on his brakes. He pushed on him as hard as he could. He ducked down behind the dash. He got as low as he could. He figured that pole was going to go. It was going to go over his head. And he ducked down behind the dash of that car. And he saw that car screeching and coming to a stop. And all of a sudden, it stopped. And he raised up over the dash of that truck. And about six inches from that glass, he saw the red flag waving in the wind, waving. He got up out of the car. He crawled out, still ducked down. He crawls out of the car. We're still worried that pole's going to get him. He goes to the back of the car. The man of the, the log truck is at the back of the car. Says, I don't know who you are. I said, but somebody's on your side. He says, what do you mean? He said, this concrete just slides when you slam on the brakes. But they've dug this road up, and they put down some fresh tar. 
And that fresh tar had the ability to grip those tires. And where he should have just slid right into that pole, that car was gripped by that asphalt, and that car came to a screeching halt just six inches away from his glass with a flag waving in the wind. Oh, preacher, you say this morning, that's a good coincidence. Don't you believe it for one second. The storm blew. The raging waters came. Life and death were face to face. But the body power of Jesus Christ, all under the sudden, all he had time to say was, Lord, help. And Jesus heard the cry, and Jesus said, Stop! And the car stopped. The storm came, but Jesus came to a screeching halt. Jesus brought that car to a halt. Where's your faith this morning? Where's your faith this morning? Are you standing with Jesus this morning? Are you standing tall? Brother David Aubrey, when you go to the doctor this week, know that Jesus is standing there in the storm with you. Pastor Gadad, as you go through day after day, know that Jesus is standing. You're standing tall with him, but Jesus is standing with you in the storm. Miss Pearl, know that Jesus Christ this, these next few weeks is standing with you as the storm winds blow and the earth begins to toss and turn all around us. You can stand tall with Jesus in the storms of life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one is looking around. Who are you looking to this morning? Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? Are your eyes focused on Jesus this morning? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Morning. Look full in his wonderful face. Are you looking to Jesus this morning? And the things of earth will, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Sing it again, Brother Anthony, one more time. Think about it this morning. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You're here this morning and you're in a storm this morning. The winds are blowing around you. Life seems to be turning upside down. Sickness has stricken your life. Death has stricken your family. Financial crisis have come this morning. And you're here this morning and you'd like to be prayed for. I just invite you right now, stand where you're at. I want you to stand right where you're at. We're going to agree with you this morning. We're going to pray with you. We're going to join a gather around. Yes, some men walk back to Brother David Aubrey and this week he faces a difficult time. The storms are blowing around him. Let's pray with him. Others this morning, you have storms in your life. Sickness has come. Financial problems have come. The church of God wants to stand with you. We want to believe with you this morning. 
We want to pray with you this morning. In the balcony, there's someone that says, there's storms in my life. I need you to pray for me this morning. Anybody else? Father, we come down together, Lord. We lay our hands before Brother David this morning. As he faces surgery this, this week, Lord, we ask that as he goes, Lord, that all fear would subside past him, Lord. That all fear that has come into his life, Lord, that, that, that those things will pass by, Lord, and that he will stand firm. He'll stand with Jesus Christ this, 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 this week, Lord, as he faces these surgeries. And Father, we just pray for the power of God to be with the surgeons that perform him, Lord, that work on him this week, Lord, that they'll find every cancer cell that is in his body, Lord, and that he'll be healed by the power through, the, through these doctors this week, Lord, that his life will be resurrected and, and new life will be brought to him, Lord, and that he'll feel better than he's ever felt before in his life. We trust with him this morning, Lord, and others this morning who did not stand, Father, that are going through trials and that did not stand this morning, Lord. I agree with them together. I trust in you, Lord, that you are able to lift them out. And, Lord, that they are able to put their faith in you this morning, that they're not putting their faith in, in everything around them, but their faith is only in Jesus Christ. Father, we love you, and we thank you for meeting us this morning. And by your name we pray. Amen.